Time once again for the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, joined by Alabama team insider and beat reporter, Mr. Charlie Potter. We are both fresh from the ATL, where the Alabama Crimson Tide took out the Duke Blue Devils on Saturday afternoon by a score of 42-3. to Now, what we're going to do with this podcast on Sunday nights is assign grades to the Alabama Crimson Tide after each and every game of the 2019 season. Now, we've done this in sort of a different form in previous years, but Charlie, uh, you ready to take this on in the uh, the podcast format here as we get going? Yeah, I think so. I think it, you know, with you and I being able to talk back and forth instead of just typing back and forth, it'll make for some more <laughs> Uh, enjoyable banter so yeah i think this should be fun you saying you didn't enjoy the facebook messenger approach (laughs) that we took and what now seems like that seems like the snail mail years now doesn't it it does i think this will be uh, much quicker um you know you can get to another game week much quicker and maybe get to the end of this oklahoma game which it looks like jalen hurts is lining up for the sooners yeah we're doing this early third quarter oklahoma and houston and if you're wondering what kind of start jalen hurts was going to get off to as the starter for the oklahoma sooners uh it's been fabulous it's been outstanding uh jalen with a little bit of a statement here uh, in that uh, he, he, again, as both Charlie and I suspected, right, Charlie, a year or so ago, uh, that this guy could get it done at a lot of different places. And he's showing, at least in week one, it's a long season. We understand that. But in Lincoln Riley's offense, Jalen Hurts with both his legs and with the, the improvement he's made as a passer in the last year or two, Uh, putting up some huge numbers in Norman. But let's talk some Alabama Duke. Let's get into some grades, Charlie. And I think we got to start on the defensive side of the ball because obviously one of the, if not the major storyline going into this game on Saturday for the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, the inside linebacker positions. We've seen a lot of things in the Nick Saban era at UA, Charlie. We haven't seen two true freshman inside linebackers get starts Uh, That's what happened with Christian Harris and Shane Lee uh, in the season opener. And, uh, Charlie, I'd I'd like to get your thoughts first on how you thought these guys sort of handled the moment, because that's what I was most interested in early in the game. You know, you knew they'd be prepared. You knew Pete Golding, that defensive staff, uh, would have them covered, perhaps even scale some things back, make it a little bit easier on them. Uh, But, again, just a different, different situation You're playing in an NFL stadium. You're playing in front of a big crowd. This is a different level of football. Um, What did you think in terms of their sort of their composure, their mindset, those type of things to to start the game? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that, you know, I think this was the biggest question mark, the biggest concern entering this game. But as the game started, as it went along, that thought kind of disappeared. You quit thinking about oh, how are these freshmen going to look? And you just kept thinking, wow, you, you just kind of forget that that's what they are out there, true freshmen, because they didn't look like it, to me at least. Um, yeah, I mean, with it being their first college game, you know, there's probably some jitters. Um, they probably feel a tremendous amount of pressure because of um, the fact they both have to go out there and, and perform and line up the defense, a bunch of guys that are older than them and get them in the right spots. But I think they handled it well. Um, you know, they – 
face some stuff that I'm sure they didn't prepare for in the summertime because we saw uh, you know Duke run some option stuff and throw some things at them uh, they didn't prepare for. But uh, I thought they both played well. They both uh, flew to the ball, which you know that's really. I know that we talk about the command and the kind of that alpha mentality that those linebackers have in the middle of the defense. But when it comes to on the field play, that's the one thing that sticks out to me about an Alabama inside linebacker is how quickly they, they run to the football. And I think both of those young guys did. It seemed like they were around the ball uh, all night long. Um, you know, Shane Lee had a huge stop on fourth down following the Jerome Ford fumble and forced a turnover on downs. And, um, you know, Nick Saban, David Cutcliffe, uh, the players after the game were all really complimentary of the way they prepared during the week and the way they performed in the game. So I think going into it, uh, yes, it was the biggest concern, but I don't think uh, Alabama, Alabama fans are anywhere near as concerned as they were maybe 24, 48 hours ago about this, that duo. Yeah, you know, Duke hit a couple of plays uh, against both. Shane Lee and Christian Harris in a couple of different matchups there in the first half. But look, we saw big plays against Alabama's linebackers in certain situations a year ago with experienced guys. So all things considered, absolutely. I thought both Shane Lee and Christian Harris handled everything. They didn't panic when when Duke really started to show multiple looks and formations and motions and all those things that you expected David Cutcliffe and the Duke staff to put in front of them. You touched on Shane Lee's stop there, assisted stop on the fourth down after the Jerome Ford fumble. That was obviously big. I thought Lee had a nice sequence late in the first half where he made a play uh, in coverage, made a nice tackle in the flat and then followed that up with a tackle of Quentin Harris on a quarterback draw. And those are the things you wanted to see from Shane Lee. Could he play sideline to sideline? Could he handle himself in space against a quarterback on a draw-type situation? I thought both guys were really, really good. Sort of in connection with that, the outside linebackers, you know, you look at pass rush stats first and foremost with those edge defenders, probably to a fault at times. Uh, But that was an interesting dynamic, too, because we didn't see Terrell Lewis to start the game. We did see Anthony Jennings. That was going to be the case regardless. Anthony Jennings is going to start football games at outside linebacker as long as he's healthy. Um, But we did see Christopher Allen uh, in there with Anthony Jennings in the first quarter. Terrell Lewis, though, wastes no time making his presence felt there in the second quarter. And from there, I thought the outside linebackers were helpful, too to some of those inside linebackers, especially in the run game. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Anthony, he's a player that I think he played well last year, but that knee was always just kind of sitting in the back of his mind. And you saw early on, Anthony Jennings was was pushing guys back with ease. Those Duke offensive linemen and and tight ends, uh, he was just kind of getting in the backfield. And I know they didn't get the kind of, production from a sack standpoint that they may have wanted. They only had one sack and it was from Terrell Lewis. It was the third play of the the second quarter for the defense. And yeah, he made his presence felt really early, but I think those guys, um, you know, they played well. Um, yeah, the three that we saw on the field were the three we expected to see. I was curious if maybe they rolled a fourth out there and who it would be. Uh, of course we saw Ben Davis late in the game and I know Alabama fans all, Kind of got a little excited about that, but I think the three that we saw are the three that they'll roll with. Um, and you know, I think with a healthy 
Terrell Lewis with a healthy Anthony Jennings, especially from the leadership aspect that both of those guys bring to the table, um, and, and especially Jennings, just because he is the one of the more veteran players in the entire defense as a fifth-year senior. Uh, I think that that will help those young guys, not only from um, just their play on the field, but what they can do helping line up the defensive linemen, helping them recognize things up front. I think that's really big for them to have the veteran presence between 33 and 24 because uh, they don't really have that sounding board between the two of them. And, and to be able to lean on guys like Jennings and Lewis, I think that's really big for, for Lee and Harris. Yeah, it's going to be interesting moving forward to see how depth continues to come along both inside and outside. You mentioned uh, the top three at outside linebacker. Doesn't seem to be much of a doubt about that, but it would be nice to have a fourth guy come along, especially in the pass rush. Maybe that's King Wakuda uh, as we look down the road more. Uh, inside linebacker, guys like Jalen Moody, uh, Markel Benton we saw in the game as it moved along. We saw Ali Caho. Charlie, but it was probably more as a fullback and a special teamer as anything else. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's something I saw a couple of people mention on Twitter because Alabama fans are so used to seeing those big 300 pound defensive tackles line up at fullback. We've seen Mac Wilson do that as well. Mac Wilson caught a touchdown against Kent State, and I'm sure he had social media content for the next several months after <laughs> that. But uh, no, Ali Kaho, I think he did a pretty good job at fullback. Um, yeah, I know he's glad to be out there on the field and for a guy that's kind of been up and down uh, throughout his career, that's probably a confidence booster for him. And we know what he can do on special teams. He was, um, you know, a spark for Alabama as a true freshman last year. So, you know, depth there is about what we expected. Um, I think, you know, Markel Benton or Jalen Moody will be the next guy. Up. But, you know, if, if these two freshmen can stay healthy, um, they're going to be really tough to, to get off the field and um, you know, if they continue to progress and, and play the way they did in this opener, that's going to be the future of the position for a long, long time. I'm assuming it's an A for the linebackers for you, or uh, what do you got? What do you got there? Yeah, I'm probably going to go with an A. I was thinking about it, and if this had been, you know, Alabama opening the season against New Mexico State, um, I think I might have gone with a B plus, just because there were some some mental errors, but that was to be expected. I do think they went out impressed, um, you know, kind of relieved some stress, I think, for a lot of Alabama fans. And the fact that it was in an NFL stadium, it wasn't a sold-out crowd, even though that's what it was announced in the press box. There were plenty of empty seats. But in that setting against a Power 5 team that um, you, you know that the competition is a little better than maybe a – you know, group of five or, you know, FCS team or anything like that. I, that's why I would go with the A just because of the, the competition. Because Duke, I know they didn't have Daniel Jones at quarterback, but Duke's a pretty good football team. So I think that that leads me to give them an A. And uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of more of those to go out to them as the season rolls along. Yeah, I've got an A as well. You hold Duke to a little more than 200 total yards. Uh, you come up big after the turnover early when Duke could have – at least established a little bit of momentum on offense and as a team in general. Uh, I got it as an A for the linebackers. Let's talk about the defensive front, the guys that worked alongside those outside linebackers and in front of those freshmen inside linebackers, another true freshman making headlines, and DJ Dale getting the start at nose tackle, Raquan Davis and LeBron Ray, a couple of program vets at the defensive end spots. Um, you know, uh, it goes overlooked sometimes because uh, you look at some of the, the statistical production 
on occasion anyway, and, and there'll be there'll be games where you don't see a lot of tackles for defensive linemen at Alabama, and you see big numbers for linebackers, maybe even safety types, but it was a pretty productive game for Raquan Davis with six stops. I thought Fedarian Mathis off the bench was very active throughout the game. He had five stops. LeBrian Ray with five stops. Now, you know, a little bit of a limited rotation because Justin Aboigby uh, did not play in the game, the true freshman defensive end. Stefan Wynn played some snaps, but, you know, again, Mathis off the bench and a true freshman in Byron Young that we saw that looked looked like a rotational guy to me, uh, you know, down at the end of the rotation, Charlie, but it looked like Byron Young was part of the plan for sure. Yeah, he did. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if that'll still be the case once a boy gets back. But um, I, I think the defensive line, you know, played pretty well. You're right. When it comes to a statistical standpoint, it's not going to jump off the page. Um, there were, there were games last year where Quentin Williams was you know, leading the team in tackles. But I think, you know, Raekwon and LeBron Ray and, and DJ Dell, especially, um, you know, they were able to get pretty good push. Um, you know, looking back at the game, um, that that was pretty apparent that you know, Alabama is not going to be hurting from a pass rush and just a push standpoint up front. I think DJ Dell can can provide an interior pass rush and uh, they can be disruptive, which will, you know, I know we've talked about a lot, but that will help those young guys behind them to clear uh, running lanes for them and to make tackles. So uh, I thought the defensive line pretty, played pretty well. And yeah, when you mentioned Fidarian Mathis, everybody was, you know, paying attention to DJ Dell. Uh, I think Osron Raekwon Davis, just because he didn't have the kind of year many envisioned he would last year and LeBron Ray stepped into his starting role for the first time. But you looked out there, I saw a lot of 48 on the field. And, yeah. and uh, I think we'll continue to see that. I think this defensive line will be a little bit better whenever uh, they have a guy like a Boyby that's healthy because uh, it's been pretty clear uh, even back in the spring that he's going to be a guy that's going to be a factor. And uh, I think Stefan Wynn can be a nice option uh, at nose tackle once, once he's you know closer to 100%. I think he's healthy, but he's been dealing with that uh, injury in, in the preseason. So I think overall the defensive line played pretty well. You look at Duke's rushing yards, they were able to accumulate 107, but they had 32 attempts at it as well. So just about three and a, uh, was that three and a third uh, per yeah. touch. So I, I think overall uh, with the, the whole entire defensive front, Alabama has to be pretty pleased. Yeah. I think the goal for Alabama was to make Quentin Harris have to make plays from the pocket. And they succeeded in doing that. It took a little bit of time, um, and it certainly helped once the offense got going and was able to put some points on the board and take a semi-commanding lead uh, to get Duke out of its comfort zone. Duke wanted to keep that game as much about those two running backs uh, as as long as possible. And, and I thought Alabama's front and the linebackers were good enough to, to force uh, the Blue Devils out of that approach. Um, you look at the pass rush numbers, yeah. You know, just a couple of sacks for Alabama in the game. And as you mentioned, one of those coming from an outside linebacker in Terrell Lewis. Uh, But all in all, a solid start. Um, You know, I'd probably be inclined to go more B plus for Alabama. And that probably has as much to do with the previous standard that guys like Quentin Williams, Deron Payne, Jaron Reed, Ashawn Robinson, Jonathan Allen have established than than anything else. Yeah, that's what I, I had it too. It was a B plus. Uh, I think the defense overall had a really good game. Uh, I think Quentin Harris and some of the things they threw out them with the, the option plays 
Um, caught them off guard, but I thought they adapted well. I think for an entire defense that was led by some true freshmen, I thought they all you know, came together. The communication seemed to be uh, pretty well, and especially the guys up front, they they did their job. So it wasn't you know a sterling, stellar game, but it got the job done. Um, you know there weren't many busted assignments, and I think a B plus uh, is pretty deserving for them. Yeah, DJ Dale, first game, first start. First tackle, first tackle for loss, all on the same play. First TFL uh, for the true freshman nose tackle. And look, we talk about the pass rush, but the bottom line was that Quentin Harris took a, a number of shots down the field uh, from about the, the second quarter on. Uh, but it wasn't like he was standing in the pocket for three and a half, four seconds. I mean, they were predetermined shots in which he was going deep. And so the ball was coming out pretty quickly, even for some vertical throws. So I'm not going to ding Alabama's front or pass rush too much for that. Let's talk about the secondary, Charlie. Uh, that was another highly anticipated area of this team. Perceived to be a real strength for Alabama with Trayvon Diggs healthy, uh, with um, Josh Job coming along at corner, Patrick Sertan going into his second season there at the corner and star positions. Uh, you know, had had a couple of plays that they gave up. Uh, I think as much as anything, I'd credit uh, you know, Quentin Harris for a, a great throw on one of those against Patrick Sertan. And uh, I think it's Stephen Bracey with an even better, Scott Bracey, I guess it is, with an even better catch on that one play uh, in, in the vertical passing game. But um, I, the takeaways you had to like, right, from those guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think this can be the strength of this team. And, um, you know, give credit to Duke, though. Um, I thought Quentin Harris had some really good balls in the game. Yeah. And um, that wasn't, you know, I, I, that's probably on me, but I went into it not expecting that. And uh, I think that guy's going to make plays for this offense. And uh, I think, though, outside of um, probably the defensive pass interference on Josh Joe, because it was, that was a really bad pass by Harris in the end zone. And, and Joe never turned around. If he had turned around, it'd been maybe the easiest interception of his life. Uh, I thought the, the DBs were in good position. Uh, you look at it, they were, they're involved in the running game as well. Um, you had Patrick Sertan uh, stripping a football, Trayvon jumping on it and recovering it for the defense. You had Trayvon Diggs intercepting a pass. You had Jordan battle, Basically, uh, I, I think I typed it up as sealing the, the victory, but someone pointed out that the victory was sealed when Miller Forrestal cut that first touchdown pass. But he sealed, sealed the, the cover, Charlie. He, he sealed did. the cover. That's he made the a big lot of, one. He made a lot of degenerates happy, um, and he, he sealed that final score. But I thought, you know, from, from top to bottom, whether it was first team or second team, I thought the, the defensive backs played really well. And, uh, you know, this isn't going to be their, their toughest challenge, but I thought Duke threw some things at them that will help them down the season. Uh, I think for me, um, and I think we had talked about it before, just how this secondary would look. Um, we didn't see a lot of Shaheem Carter, and that's a bit of a surprise just because of the praise that he's gotten all preseason, what we've seen from him in the past. We'll say he's going to be kind of reserved to to dime packages, and, and they'll see more of that in the future. You know, when they go to against A and M and more and teams that are um, going to be more inclined to pass the ball, I think we'll see more of number five out there. But uh, it looks like Jaron Baden has come along again. Um, yeah, that's good news for the for the defense, though, because that gives them more experience uh, and a lot more versatility in that back end, for sure. Yeah, yeah history tells us you're going to need more than six um, to have a really good 
you know, to have a really good or you're going to need six to have a really good five, which is mostly what Alabama plays in that nickel package. And to have a guy like Shaheen Carter, at least for now, anyway, as their sixth guy who can help at so many different spots, as we talked about, uh, makes him extremely valuable. But yeah, I mean, Duke was aggressive. I thought Alabama was aggressive in its approach um, to, to man coverage played a lot of man coverage that's not a big surprise when you talk about Alabama secondaries under Nick Saban um, Trayvon Diggs had a beautiful interception after giving up the deep ball earlier in the game uh, as you said comes away with a couple of takeaways in the game on Saturday uh, you got to see a lot of different guys in there uh, we saw some of those true freshmen Scooby Carter um, in the game we saw I guess Marcus Banks late Jordan Battle with the interception that you talked about. DeMarco Hellams, another one of those true freshmen. I believe Jalen Armour Davis was on the field. Uh, so you also got to look at that next wave of defensive backs. But, you know, between the pass interference flags, you had a couple of three of those. Um, really only had one explosive play on the outside. Um, you know, it's an A- minus for me, for the DBs. I mean, if you play that much man coverage... Uh, and, and considering, you know, kind of who the 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 PI came against and, and when it happened, uh, I'm probably not going to to break out the red pen too much on the secondary Saturday. Yeah, um, you know, we're we're echoing each other because I was going with an A minus. And and one thing that we haven't really mentioned, I thought was one of the biggest takeaways for me is I thought Xavier McKinney was oh, yeah. probably the best defensive player on the field, or at least he he had the best game. I don't want to say he was the best defensive player. That's tough to do for this defense without Dylan Moses out there. But, um, you know, he's an elite safety. He picked up where he left off last year. Um, he stepped into that quarterback role, um, you know, at the safety position and played really well. He led the team with, with eight tackles. I think his performance, that interception by Diggs, and just the overall play of, of both groups, uh, I, I would go with an A minus. The, the the flags are what draws it back from an A for me, but I thought the secondary played pretty well. Yeah, and when you got a guy like McKinney and you can play that much man coverage like Alabama played, now you've got that extra defender that you can roll up in the box and help out those inside linebackers, not only in the run game, but also in some of that uh, short to intermediate passing game that they might find themselves matched up in from time to time. Xavier McKinney absolutely was uh, was very good. Also as a pass rusher, as a blitzer, as we saw on occasion on Saturday too. Now let's move to the offensive side of the ball, Charlie. And again, an area of, of great interest to us and Alabama fans, I'm sure, that offensive line because you knew – that three new guys were going to, or you at least felt pretty confident, that three new starters were going to make uh, their debuts in that capacity for Alabama in the game. A couple of guys that are new to the program entirely in Landon Dickerson and Evan Neal. Chris Owens got his start there at the center position. Uh, A little bit of turbulence early, I would say, and it wasn't always pretty really throughout the game. But, um, you know, what were your thoughts on, I, I guess, the offensive line play in general, but but specifically that interior trio? Yeah, I thought it was up and down. Um, I thought Dickerson played pretty well. He looks like he's a guy that's going to be 
a pretty emotional player. We saw him on the ground a couple of times. We saw him lose his helmet a couple of times and have to go out for a game. But um, I think he's going to be a starter somewhere along that line. I think what's going to be interesting this week is to see if that maybe they, they tweak some things because I think Evan Neal struggled a little bit. Uh, that's to be expected in your first start. But we saw him leave the game. It didn't look like it was really anything injury-related. Nick Saban didn't bring him up after the game. We saw uh, Emil Ekior uh, join the, the first group for a little bit. And then, of course, Emil uh, suffered an injury late in the game. Uh, it's a knee injury he had been dealing with in the past. But um, I, I think it, it was it was an up-and-down game. I think for me, um, probably the, the biggest – negative if you want to call it that for lack of a better word really was the offensive line it but more importantly from a from a run blocking standpoint I thought pass pro was okay um you know they kind of you know dusted themselves off a little bit early on they gave up one sack but I thought it was pretty good the rest of the way uh, but the just the the running game in general never really got going uh, I know that you know Najee Harris and Brian Robinson sat for the first quarter but um that that just seemed to kind of be Again, for lack of a better word, a weakness in this game. But um, I think that group, the with the new, three new starters in the interior, with Neil at left guard, Chris Owens at center, and and Dickerson at right guard, uh, I think that's a solid group. But Alabama has options with with Matt Womack. I think they can move um, Lyndon Dickerson into center if they need to. Of course, you know we we always got to mention that Deontay Brown's going to come back after four games. But um, I think they'll improve. Um, you know they're going to have a a chance to do that and some work on some things and maybe some some different groupings this week against a New Mexico State team. But I think for me, the biggest up and down um, area for this team in this game was the offensive line in the run game. I take it that we're in agreement then that neither of us believe that things are totally settled from guard to guard in terms of you know what we saw Saturday compared to what we might see even this week or a week later at South Carolina and then certainly down the road when Deontay Brown returns? No, I don't think so. Um, I think they could give this group a chance. Uh, I think it's a it's a talented group. Chris Owens has been in the program for a while. He kind of seemed like he was going to be the starter at, at center all offseason long. Um, you know, a guy like Landon Dickerson, I think, can play – uh, all three positions. So I think he's going to be in the mix somewhere. And again, I thought he had a pretty good game uh, whenever he was at, in there, not on the sideline, getting his helmet looked at or having to sit out. But uh, I think Evan Neal will come into it. Now he's obviously learning a new position, being a tackle um, in high school. But, um, you know, they have options. Right now, they're a little bit handcuffed because it doesn't sound like Emil Ekior will be able to go this week. Um, you know, we'll see what Nick Saban says uh, during his Monday press conference. But, you know, a guy like Matt Womack, we saw them uh, put him at left tackle whenever Alex Leatherwood left the game for a bit. Uh, we've seen him work at guard. He's a versatile player, an experienced player. I think they feel pretty good about. So, um, yeah, at, during Monday's practice viewing, I'll be really interested to see if that first five is the same. And uh, right now, even though I know we've mentioned the injury to Ekior, they do have the luxury of being able to move some guys around and, and tinker with it a little bit. Yeah, and that's not to knock on these guys too much because, again, with all that newness, inside at the guard and center positions uh, you kind of had to figure Duke was going to look to take advantage of that with some games up front with some uh, blitzes some different pressures uh, and they were effective uh, especially early in the game but again communication recognition uh, with 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 all of this uh, again 
newness uh, from guard to guard. Not a huge surprise. Um, that said, there is a standard at Alabama, and whether it's your first start or your thirty-first uh, start, you know the expectations are what they are. Had three holding penalties uh, in the game on Alabama offensive linemen. Two of them were actually enforced, and those two uh, eliminated explosive plays in the passing game. So that wasn't good. Um, I'm going to go with a C uh, for the offensive line Saturday. Charlie, what about you? So I was going to go with a C plus just because All right. All right. I, I give them I gave them the benefit of the doubt of, of three new starters. Um, I thought that Duke did you know, throw some things at them just like they did offensively. I think the defensive front um, likes to stunt and, and move things around a little bit. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And it, it is the first game. Um, yeah, I know we, we go oh, into yeah. it with preseason expectations and a lot of that is just because we have an entire off season to kill time. But uh, I was really interested to see how this group looked and it, it's obvious they have some things to work on, but you can obviously see the potential as well. So I'll go with C plus. Yeah. I thought some of the most promising stuff came later in the game on Jerome Ford's touchdown run uh, there in the fourth quarter. You had Darian Dahlcourt, a true freshman come in at center and absolutely manhandle one of Duke's inside linebackers and also Kendall Randolph, a guy who's been around a couple of years now uh, working at the left guard spot. He had a pancake block uh, on that touchdown run as well. So there were a lot of positives and you saw Steve Sarkeesian make some good use of Alabama's experience there with Matt Womack. Matt Womack was essentially a sixth offensive lineman throughout the game. I mean, we saw him with a pretty good bit of frequency for a guy that that was technically a reserve. So uh, it's not the end of the world. It's just the first game. There is still some cohesiveness that needs to take place, as we know. Uh, I'm sure that Kyle Flood would love to be able to settle on a three there from guard to guard, uh, but it may take a little bit. And the good news is I think he's got plenty of quality options there uh, at those spots. Uh, Charlie, let's move to the wide receivers and tight ends from Saturday's game. Uh, If you thought that Irv Smith Jr. and Hale Hentges both moving on to the National Football League would sort of take the tight end position out of the mix from a receiving standpoint, I guess we got our answer on Saturday. Not a prolific performance for Alabama's tight ends in terms of catches and yards, but you talk about uh, touchdown conversion rate, pretty efficient, I'd say. Oh, yeah, no doubt. They combined for four receptions and scored two touchdowns. Uh, I think that was something that a lot of people were very uh, intrigued to watch is how much the tight ends were involved in. And we saw them involved quite a bit. And they, um, you know, obviously you knew that they were going to be around for the for the uh, in the run game. But the way that they were involved in the passing game. Uh, I thought was creative. Um, you had to deal with Devontae Smith not being in the game in the first quarter. Um, so they had Judy, Waddle, and, and Smith out there. But um, yeah, we didn't really see a, a deviation much from Miller, Forrestal, and, and Major Tennyson. I thought those guys did a good job of catching the football. Um, you know, Miller had a, a pretty long reception. It was it was 27 yards for a touchdown, and that was the second longest passing play for Alabama on the day. It's pretty crazy to, to think about that when you saw how many explosive plays they had. Um, 
but yeah, I mean that's that shows that that he is athletic enough to to make up for some of the things that Irv Smith Jr. did last year. And I think getting them involved, though, I'm I'll be really interested to see how much it continues. I'm not saying it's going to go away, but I don't think it was any coincidence that they threw the ball to the tight ends, especially near the red zone, when you had the the nation's number one tight end and, and Eric Gilbert in attendance. So um, you know, make of that what you will, but we'll, we'll see if it continues. Uh, let's just say that. Yeah, red zone conversions had been a little bit of the talk of the preseason, although in 2018, Alabama's touchdown conversion rate in the red zone was second by just a little bit to Mississippi State uh, in the SEC rankings. So uh, not a bad red zone team a year ago, but obviously a very good start on Saturday, going three for three on those opportunities with a couple of those going to those tight ends. Let's talk wide receivers. Uh, Jerry Judy, uh, a first for him in his Alabama career in terms of uh, 10 receptions. That's a career high for Jerry Judy. Uh, And a continuation from a year ago of just a a deadly quartet, really, at the wide receiver position and a quarterback in Tuatanga-Vailoa who has zero reservation going to any of those four guys. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, um, you know, you're right about Judy having a career high, and he was targeted 13 times. So, you know, it's it's clear the the chemistry and the relationship that they have. But you know, Jalen Waddle, um, you know, he was targeted uh, less than half of that. He caught five passes and, and turned that into 90 yards. So, you know, his explosive playmaking ability is still uh, at an all-time high. And um, you know, you could tell that this offense liked having all four of those receivers at their disposal because Devontae Smith was heavily involved as soon as he was able to play in the second quarter. Um, you know, Henry Ruggs, two catches for 14 yards, but I thought Ruggs, like he always does, does a really good job in the uh, on the perimeter as a blocker for his teammates. And um, you know, I think we knew what they had in those top four receivers. I was really interested to see, especially in the first quarter with, um, you know, Devonte Smith suspended, you know, if they would go to the bench and, and who would that next guy up would be. And I, I don't think, I don't want to say we didn't see it coming, um, but Slade Bolton was the, was the fifth receiver. Uh, yeah. I guess in that case, it was the fourth receiver. So, um, you know, he didn't have any uh, um, statistics. He didn't have a catch in the game, but I thought that was telling. And then we saw John Mechie come off the bench as well, and he had a, one catch for five yards. So, um, you know, it's a deep receiver group. It's a talented receiver group. Um, and, you know, with what Judy was able to do, what Waddle was able to do, it showed that, if they can get the protection um, that they need, then this offense is going to pick up right where it left off last year. Yeah, you know, give Duke credit because Alabama, with Tua on the field, averaged 12.9 yards completion, and that's not a bad number. But as you know, Charlie, there were games last year where he averaged that per attempt, let alone per completion. So I thought Duke did what they wanted to do for the most part defensively, and that's keep these guys from that 17, 18, 19, 20-yard-per-catch average type outings that any of the four are multiples of the four are capable of putting forth. Um, ultimately, though, I thought, and we'll get to Tua on this in just a little bit, uh, the patience in the passing game uh, was a real positive. But, uh, you know, something you continue to see from these guys too, Charlie, is a real physicality that uh, they bring to the position. You know, none of these guys are 6'3", 6'4", 220, uh, but they definitely play like they are. 
Yeah, they do. And I agree with you. I thought that Duke did a good job of trying to contain them. And um, Duke could have probably done a little bit of a better job. They had them in situations where it was a quick pass. And um, if they make a tackle, then it doesn't turn into a 15, 20 yard gain. But you know, guys like Judy and Waddle spun out of those and, and turned them into those. So um, yeah, I think they had a good game plan going in. But these receivers are just too talented. Um, you know, they're shifty. They're elusive. You mentioned it. They're physical. Physical, uh, you know, it's it's really clear to see that Alabama has the best receiving core in the nation. And uh, for me, I know we're going to get to it, but it's hard to do anything but give them an A uh, in this because of the way they continue to play. I had a game where the all off season we've talked about how good they are. They didn't, you know, let anyone down. And, and Devontae Smith even gave that group a boost after he was missing for the first quarter. I thought, um, you know, the the resurgence of four of those players that were suspended after the first 15 minutes really helped out that offense. And Devontae Smith's no exception. No doubt, uh, it's an A for me as well. Hey, let's talk running backs for Alabama. Another storyline: uh, the situation involving. Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, we don't see them in the first quarter. So there he is, Jerome Ford, the redshirt freshman. Now, he did play in four games a year ago, but was able to benefit from that four-game redshirt rule and save that year of eligibility in the process. Um, Would you say it was a nervy Jerome Ford, maybe, to start the game Saturday? And if so, I guess kind of understandable, right? Yeah, um, he had to think that was the case um, because you know even going into the preseason we were talking about you know Trey Sanders being that number three back and um, you know Trey Sanders goes down with a foot injury and then Jerome Ford is the number three back we're having that discussion of well you know maybe they just lean on Harris and Robinson and then boom you have this suspension because of the players missing a, a team function and then Jerome Ford's in the spotlight I don't know if that's a position he necessarily thought that he would find himself in in the season opener but um, you know there were some some struggles he obviously had that fumble we talked about earlier um, you know that led to the defense getting a stop on fourth down but uh, I think he settled down a little bit more as the game went on obviously he had the long touchdown um, you know in the second half and um, you know, played played better down the stretch, but um, I think it was a nerve-wracking situation for him because, um, like I said, I don't know if he anticipated being in that position. But um, you know, now they have Nashi Harris and Brian Robinson for the start of the next game, and if if those guys stay healthy and if Jerome Ford can can progress and and learn from this, uh, I think the running backs would be okay. Yeah, after the fumble by Jerome Ford, it seemed like for the remainder of that quarter, it was largely on Tua in the passing game. Uh, Alabama wasn't really going to go back uh, in that direction uh, with the the redshirt freshman running back. But, you know, look, we talk about the struggles you're going to have and pass protection and things like that because you have three new interior starters to open a game. Same is true when you have a, 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 a... inexperienced back back there as well um but i'll say this for jerome ford i I thought it was incredibly valuable to him to have the success he had late with the 37 yard touchdown run there in the fourth quarter it was great cosmetically for alabama's rushing stats in the game because you take that run out of there and that 3.5 that alabama averaged for the game think about what that number looks like without that run late um but I, but I thought that was that was important for his confidence. 
moving forward. But absolutely, uh, Najee Harris comes into the game, and it just brings an entirely different dynamic to that offense. Certainly Brian Robinson, a key part of that as well. Uh, but with Najee, you're talking about a guy that you better respect on play fakes and things like that from Tua Tonga Bailoa. And if you pay him the proper respect, then you're going to see other things open up like the play action that we saw uh, in the game from Tonga Vailoa to those tight ends, especially. Um, so there's no question that when the second quarter started, Najee Harris comes in the game. Uh, Brian Robinson's available. I'd like to get your thoughts, though, on some of the short yardage stuff. Um, you know, we, we saw a couple of issues there. Um you know, Najee is is kind of a guy that'll try to hunt the home run on occasion. Uh, he's 230 pounds. Uh, he can pick up the hard yards. But I'm wondering if it's going to become a situation where it's maybe just, and we did see some of this in the game on the goal line too, where Brian Robinson is sort of the default option, Charlie, when this team needs a yard or, you know, finds itself in those sort of goal line situations. No, I think that, that that will be the case because, you know, Brian Robinson is more of a north and south runner. He can obviously make defenders miss, but you know, Najee does a lot of um, a lot of dancing. I think earlier in the year, or I, I think it was in preseason camp, it had to have been. We were talking to, to Brian Robinson, and we're talking about the different dynamics in the running back room, and he talked about how Najee Harris likes to use his feet, and that is very true. Uh, you can see that just from the way that he plays, and, uh, he can make he can punish defenders, no doubt. But I think if he's more assertive and, and hits the hole, um, then Alabama will be better off, and they're going to be able to to um, capitalize on them, him in some short yard situations. Otherwise, yeah, I think twenty four will be in there on third and one, or you know, first and goal from the two or three. And you know, we saw them down there. Um, you know, Brian Robinson got an opportunity, and he scored a rushing touchdown uh, because of it. So um, I think with the offensive line still kind of in progress and um you know obviously those two running backs are kind of new to the first team i know Najee played a lot last year but i think that'll improve i think they'll figure out you know the strengths of that and i, I do think we'll see brian robinson in a lot of those situations but i think with practice and um you know he's already we didn't see him hurdle in the game that's a step in the right direction i think if if Najee's patient um you know uses his eyes and sees what opens up in front of him then if he just puts his foot in the dirt and goes forward then he'll be a lot better off yeah, the jump cuts in short yardage situations don't always work out. Now, sometimes they do, and when they do, you can turn one of those situations into an explosive play, but maybe for the time being, we see more direct runs with Brian Robinson. I'll say this for Najee Harris. You look at his production in the game Saturday, 12 carries, 52 yards. No, that's solid enough, but again, uh, and we'll talk about this with, with Tua and, and his numbers and what they actually could have been. And, and they probably ended up being about right because I think Alabama recovered from these mistakes uh, on, on a couple of these situations. But, you know, we talk about Jalen Waddell, five catches for 90 yards. Well, you know, he lost a, a 30-yarder on a holding call. Uh, same for Najee. You know, they had the, the long reception there. It was 50-plus yards, I want to say, that, that Alabama lost to a holding call. Um, there in the second quarter. So uh, you clean up some of these mistakes and uh, the production is, is going to only improve, I think, for some of these uh, skill guys. But as a group, Charlie, what kind of grade you got for the running backs on Saturday? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough because you had your two starters out in the first quarter, and that first quarter was pretty rough, especially for Jerome Ford. So I, that's almost like a caveat. But for me, I would go with a B minus for them. I feel like that might be a little lenient in the gradient system. But uh, there's just so much going on and so much from a – you have to put as an asterisk, I think, for them uh, because of what happened in the first quarter. Um, yeah, I thought we'd see more of Keelan Robinson. He got in the game late and had two carries for five yards. Um, but that was when the game was well in hand. So that wasn't really something you just grow into the grades as well. So uh, I think with the situation, uh, it deserves that asterisk. So I would go with a, a B minus. I might be being a little bit too nice there. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you, though, because I think if you turn the ball over, especially in plus territory to the opponent, that's a letter grade right there, and, and that's what happened. Whether it's your your first team back or your third team back, you know that can't happen. And and, and look, it, it's game one again. Using that as sort of a, a, a an understanding there of what we're talking about with the grades uh, for week one. But uh, it's a letter grade, I think, when you when you turn it over right there. So that that puts the ceiling for me at pretty much a B. Um, so I'll stick with a B. I'll stay with a B because again, I think Harris had an opportunity for a huge play that was lost due to a, to a hold. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, I think that, that Brian Robinson, you know, nine carries, nine yards, uh, that's not going to blow anybody away, but he did have a short yardage touchdown and then Ford responded late. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be at the games out of, out of reach and in control and, and scores. So I'll go with a B I'll be Mr. Nice guy on that one uh, for the running backs. Uh, let's wrap up the offense with the quarterback position Tua Tonga Vialo with a ho-hum 26 of 31 for 336 yards and four touchdowns performance. Uh, Charlie, I guess as much as anything early in the game, what stood out was uh, if you had questions about Tua's health, he, he sort of had to answer that given the pressure that was in his face from the outset. Yeah, he did. He did a good job with that. Uh, we also saw him. I, I know it It seemed like he didn't do it all game long, but early on we saw him check down to the running back. That's a new wrinkle. And uh, I, I thought it was typical to it, though, uh, throughout the whole night. Uh, you mentioned he had five incompletions. Um, you know, he threw four touchdowns. That, that's, that'll work. That'll play. And, um, yeah, I just think that He's, he looks leaner. He looks healthy. Um, he, was, he wasn't really forcing too much. He missed on a couple long balls. But, um, you know, the, the crossing routes, the short yardage things that he throws to the receivers are still on the money. He's allowing them to, to make plays uh, with their feet and make defenders miss and pick up yards after the catch. Uh, it was vintage Tua. And uh, I think for Alabama fans, um, you know, they had to feel some comfort in that. Um, you know, the, the running game was obviously questionable in the, the first quarter and he had to carry them. And I know they were held off the scoreboard, but it didn't take him long to, to get firing when everybody was at his disposal. And, uh, I think he made, uh, plays when he needed to. It was, it was just typical to it. That's about all I could say. I think, um, I thought we would see maybe a little bit more of Mac Jones. I know we're, we're talking about Tua here, but, um, I thought we would see more of the of him, but we, you know, he was four for five for 31 yards. But with Tua, um, it was what you expected. You know, we we talked about this offense all off season long, 
And with him and these receivers, they look just like they did last year. So uh, I think for anybody wondering if that was going to go away or, or I don't know if anybody thought that uh, that wasn't the case. And um, this offense looks like it picked up basically right where it left off in terms of the passing game. Yeah. And if you wondered if Tua was just totally going to become checked down, Charlie, no offense, Charlie, but that's just kind of <laughs> the, 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 the label for it. Um, after the Clemson performance, I think he answered that too, because he was not hesitant about attacking the middle of the field on some of those deep crossing routes, those dig routes uh, that that he has worked to perfection in the past with those wide receivers, continue to do that. Um, You know, I think if teams are going to continue to try to take away the deep stuff as much as uh, Duke seemed intent on doing, that's more on Alabama's run game. You know, if teams are, are gearing up for the deep ball, you got to be able to run the football better than Alabama did on Saturday. I know that's going to be a point of emphasis moving forward um, for that offensive staff and those those guys on that side. Um, that That's more on the run game than I think anything. I'll tell you something I like from Tua, and uh, this was kind of anticipated with Steve Sarkeesian coming in perhaps part of his imprint on this offense. The under center stuff, Charlie, I thought Tua – was really, really good uh, with the ball faking, the play faking, selling fakes, um, hard sells, uh, and helping to, to create even more separation for some of those tight ends um, and, and some of that stuff. So I, I thought we saw an addition to his game maybe from that standpoint, more so than just the RPO stuff, I guess is what I'm saying. We saw it with the RPOs last year. I thought Saturday we saw it more from under center. Uh, I thought that was improvement there. and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an A for Tua. Four touchdowns, no interceptions, five incompletions. Uh, you know, again, lost a couple of big plays to holds, but did a great job in, in helping Alabama come back from a, from those type of situations, too. What do you got? It? Yeah, I mean, it's an A. And I think one of the things, too, is it's not going to show up on the stat sheet or anything. We had talked earlier about Landon Dickerson and, and some of the things that happened, but who was the first person over there to kind of calm him down and make sure everything was okay? It was number 13. Uh, you saw, I know he had nothing to do with the play other than handing it off, but Tua went crazy on the bench and ran into his helmet to hold on extra points whenever his little brother was on the field for a touchdown. And you're just the... The fun that he has out there, the leadership that he brings and the support he has for his teammates, I think that that helps, too, especially whenever you're off to a rocky start in the, the first quarter. So it's an A. Uh, it's an A from on the field, off the field, everything for two is an A. Yeah, not a bad debut for Talia. Come in, hand off to Jerome Ford, touchdown. That'll work. <laughs> huh? Pretty efficient, those Tonga Vailoa brothers, when it comes to touches to touchdowns when they're on the field, it seems like. Uh, but that was that was a, a pretty cool moment, I know, for that entire family on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So there you go. That's the offense, the defense, and now for the phase of the game we know you've hung around this long for. On the Built by Bama online podcast, Charlie, let's talk some kicking game. Should we talk Will Reichard first, or should we save that for – I think we got to save that. Um, although that was pretty much the, the story for the kicking game because uh, not much in the way of return action for Alabama in the game, I guess. Um, I'll say this about the coverage and return units as far as some of the core guys. If if you thought from the outset Saturday you were going to see a lot of true freshmen or 
you know, inexperienced players from a positional standpoint on those teams. Charlie, we saw a number of starters from the get-go once again, and that that's nothing new for Nick Saban coach teams, is it? No, it, it's not. I'm, I was surprised to look out there and see Jerry Judy on one of those teams. <laughs> I thought that was, that was a new wrinkle uh, as well. But and I thought, you know, it – it wasn't an aspect that, that dominated the game. I think the only return was from Henry Ruggs for 22 yards on the opening kickoff. Um, obviously, Duke didn't have a lot of opportunities, but you know, they they did a good job of you know punting to, to Jalen Waddle where he couldn't return the ball. But uh, Alabama has weapons in that regard. But I think their coverage units, yeah. I mean, the players they're able to put on the field, um, you know, guys like Daniel Wright, who I know he's not a starter, but he's a guy that we've seen in the past isn't afraid to fly down the field and make a tackle and kick off coverage or, or punt coverage. Um, so, you know, they're pretty set in that regard. But I think that pretty much wraps up the coverage units. I think the rest we have to talk about is the freshmen. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a good news, bad news thing for Will Reichard. We're going to talk a lot about Will Reichard, which is a good thing because that means he handled kickoffs, he handled field goals and extra points, and he also handled the only punting that Alabama did in the game. Um, Part of the bad news that goes with that is that he's now 0 for 2 on field goals to start his Alabama career and... I kind of pointed to it in my five predictions revisited uh, following the game on Saturday night. You know, it's not like they ease this guy into the shallow end of the pool on Saturday, okay? He misses, but they're from 49 and 48, Charlie. Neither one of them were shanks or low-line drive duck hooks. Um, You know, they, they are kicks that most, uh, that not most, but a lot of college kickers are going to miss. You know, if you go one for two on those two, you take that as a positive at the college level. And the expectation is that there's a good chance you might miss both from that type of distance. You turn that into a guy making his collegiate debut in those situations. um, Not surprising. Not surprising that he missed them both. Um, But I thought otherwise, seven of seven on extra points. Uh, he was, wasn't he seven of seven on kickoffs for touchbacks, I think in the game as well. Um, average 40 yards per punt on two boots. Look, it wasn't the perfect start. We get that Charlie, but, uh, I'm not ready to go to, go to the scrap heap with young Will Reichard, I guess. No, and, and Nick Saban isn't either. You know, he was complimentary of Reichard in the game. He was happy to see that those kicks, uh, were close, uh, cause in the past that hasn't been the case. Um, you know, last year, the extra points were a struggle and he was a perfect six for six in that regard. So um, I think that they take that as a positive. He wasn't needed to go and win the game. Uh, it was good experience for him. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban is very lenient with the kickers. And especially when he's talking to us, he's not going to bash them in any way. And he's not going to bash them on the field. He's very um, delicate with them. And I think he sees the potential in, in Will. Um, you know, he's a player that. It did a lot of good things in the preseason, obviously did enough to win uh, the, the starting job at, in all aspects of the kicking game. And, you know, I think the leg that he has uh, is, is shown in his kickoffs. Um, you know, that was an effective area of the game. But um, you're right. I mean, the, the first miss when it doink off the, the right upright yeah. and the, the second one was just a bit left. So straighten him up a little bit and, um, you know, he's good to go. So I, I don't expect to see – a change 
yeah. next week. Um, you know, it might be a situation where you're facing a New Mexico State team that gave up 58 points to Washington State, and you score enough touchdowns that you get Joseph Boulevard some some time out there, maybe Skylar DeLong. But um, it, I think you know if people were expecting them to to kind of change things at the at kicker and punter, I, I wouldn't expect that right away. No. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with a B for the special teams. I, I know I missed a couple of field goals again, long-range field goals. His first punt was a little nervy, kind of a low tumbler there in the first quarter. Uh, I thought his second one was more along the lines of what you would like, um, especially in terms of hang time. So the, the, the guy is already uh, a, a really solid specialist. And again, you're asking him to handle – uh, three different roles right now as a true freshman. So uh, I, I think Will Riker's going to be just fine in time. It's a B for me, Charlie. Yeah, I mean, I would probably go that route too. I was This one was the hardest one for me just because there are two missed field goals and that's not the end result you want. But, but uh, I think I would probably go towards B- minus just for that. Um, I, I do think that Will Riker has a bright future. Um, I know a lot of people – you know, we're shaking their head and pointing to the, the kicker curse that Alabama kind of has. And now <laughs> um, that's expected, but I think that he'll be able to turn this around, straighten those kicks up and, and do pretty good down the stretch. Yeah. If he starts missing multiples from inside 40, then yeah, we can probably have more of that conversation perhaps with Will Reichard. But uh, when he's missing from 48 and 49, you know, maybe get him a few more. And, and here's the thing. If you're Alabama, you don't want him kicking red zone field goals. So, you know, if you're taking care of business in the red zone, uh, then then a lot of his attempts are going to be from long range, and he's certainly talented enough to make those. Uh, and we just, uh, if you're Will Reichert and you're listening to this, we just want to let you know, Will, stay away from social media, just entirely. Stay away from the old uh, social media. Charlie, that's going to do it for grades from uh, – Alabama Duke uh, big week coming up in terms of Alabama I would say more from uh, an Alabama standpoint because this is not an opponent coming in here on Saturday uh, from Las Cruces New Mexico and the Aggies in New Mexico State that is expected to push Alabama at all it's a paycheck it's a guarantee game uh, that you pay an opponent uh, 1.7 million dollars to come to Tuscaloosa to play uh, so what do we got early in the week? Nick Saban Monday, players Monday, Tuesday. How's the schedule setting up for early in the week? Yeah, we'll have Saban at noon on Monday, followed by players. Should have three or four of them uh, almost immediately after him. And then practice Tuesday will be players at one and then practice. And then Wednesday will be Saban on the teleconference at about 1040. And he'll have a post-practice press conference following a Wednesday practice. And, of course, you have the radio show on Thursday and then game on Saturday. And that's the week. And we got coverage for you throughout the week at BamaOnline.com. Charlie's going to have player reaction, Nick Saban comments. He's going to have his practice updates Monday through Wednesday. We're going to have practice video. We're going to have instant analysis. Kirk McNair doing his thing on the website as well it's the built by bama online podcast if you haven't already again we'd really appreciate a subscription wherever you consume your podcast content maybe a review while you're there as well for charlie potter travis ryer the BamaOnline.com staff thanking you once again for joining us here on the podcast keep it locked to BamaOnline.com for continuing coverage 
of all things Crimson Tide.